0: With that said, hey, let's open up your Bibles to the book of Colossians, and we'll be picking right back up where we left off at chapter 3, and we will take the first 17 verses of chapter 3 here of Colossians, and so we will follow right along. Now, if you've been with us, you know exactly where we've left off. If you haven't been following with us, I encourage you to get the podcast and go back and read and catch up to fill in. That we'll be filling, uh, finishing up here the book of Colossians here before Christmas, and uh, and then in the beginning of the new year. After we do, uh, we'll have Christmas uh, service and New Year service, and we'll pick back up in a new book uh, in the first part of January. But here in the, um, we call I'm calling this uh, teaching the life in Christ, and we'll take the first 17 verses. Now, if you remember, knowing. That all wisdom is in Christ. We saw that in chapter 2 verses 1 through 5. That we are all the wisdom you will ever find is going to be in that relationship and knowledge of knowing who Jesus Christ is. Paul urged the Colossian Christians to continue in him because they were getting trying to be swayed by people of the world to try to sway you as a believer to not follow Christ and not to listen to the truths of Christ, but to follow them and to follow the worldly ways and traditions and, tr- and rituals and not stay focused on that relationship with Christ. And, and it happens still today, right? So the word of God is for yesterday, back in those days, but also for us today. It, it applies. The Holy Spirit is working in our lives as well to encourage us to continue Uh, in in Christ and he also we saw in chapter 2 verses 8 through 10 not being deceived by empty philosophies of men Be very careful of not being uh, deceived by that. And since believers are identified in Christ, they are not to live under Jewish laws. And that was what's happening with the Gnostics or the Legalists. They were taken, and people were trying to say, "You need to have a relationship with Christ, but you also had to follow all these rules and regulations that were made up by man or by the Old Testament." And God, Jesus fulfilled the law. So we saw that in verses eleven through seventeen. And then He also warned them, "If you get wrapped up." up into going back to these Jewish laws and and dietary laws and being circumcised and all these other things, what's going to happen is it's going to cheat you out of your rewards. You're going to be diverted away from Christ and what he's called you to do and get on to the things of man and you'll get distracted and you're losing out on what God wants to bless you and to reward you for your faithful service to him. But we also say, say that they died with Christ. We have died with Christ as a believer and no longer need to be subject to these legalistic rules, verses 20 through 23. Now, Paul in his letters, and I love his letters because he always gives us a very solid foundational truth. But then he doesn't leave you there because knowledge is just going to puff you up. You ever get caught into the, some of the people who are just really into the theological stuff and the and the bibles and seminary things and they just take it a lot of knowledge but there's nothing practical in their life. You can't see what they know, the things of God. They don't see it practically living in their life and life in Christ. They don't, it's not practically lived out. They still see things in their life are just not lining up with, the, with the, the, the word of God. But they'll tell you what the word of God tells you. You ever met someone like that? They will sit there and you want to tell them about Christ. They're living in the world. They're living in their, their sins and their lusts and all the things that are going on. But you tell them, well, do you ever heard of Jesus? And they'll quote you scriptures, man. They'll tell you. Why? Because they were, li- they were raised up in a Christian family. Or they were had someone around them that was always sharing the, the word of God. But they just hear it, but they would not receive it and be part of who they are in their life of, in Christ. So Paul doesn't leave us hanging with just truth and the foundational truth of who Christ is. But now in the chapters, the last two chapters, three and four, he actually helps us understand how to practically live that out. Now this is a tough part of the, of the letter. Right in the beginning, it was like, oh yeah, that's true, that's true, okay, that's true, that's hard to believe, okay, that's, but then all of a sudden, now in chapters 3 and 4, it's going to be, some of us, it was so convicted and so maybe so changed by these, the, the remaining of this letter, and that is what exactly what Paul's intent is. Watch this, how practically, how are we to live if you're truly a believer, truly called yourself a Christian, how are you to live? What is your life in Christ supposed to look like? Well, he starts off by doing this. And Because remember, the whole epistle of, the, of, the, of this epistle, this letter to the Colossian believers, is the emphasis on the believer's relationship with Christ. And we are not to forget that, that this is all about living for Christ. And we see here in Colossians chapter 3 verse 1, he says, If then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above where, where Christ is, sitting at the right hand of God. See, it's, it, is, it is possible to be alive, but still live in the grave or the past of your old life. Believers have not only died with Christ, but we are to now be seen risen with Christ. We should be seeing that a changed life that once you've come to Christ. We see that back in Romans chapter 6. We also see that in uh, uh, um, in chapter 2 of Colossians. We can see how Paul was writing and saying, you were dead in Christ, you raised from Christ, you have a new life. It should be a changed life that we see. Your life in Christ should be there, not a life absent of Christ like you used to, but now in Christ with him. It should be different. It shouldn't be the same. And he uses this word here, if then uh, a paraphrase. Or again, the original language here, if means sense. So since you know you were raised in Christ, since you had this new life, then you had to live differently. You're you to seek of uh, seek those things which are above, where Christ is sitting at the right hand of God. As a believer, we should have a pattern in our life life in christ should be patterned after the things of god how do we know what what it is like to be in heaven what is it like to heavenly thoughts what is it like to to know to know christ and and his ways well that's because god gave us the word of god that's why we study verse by verse chapter by chapter book by book the whole counsel of god because we want to know the knowledge but also practically how you live that life as a christian and have joy And have peace about this. And Paul's going to speak to this here in the verses that we're going to cover. But he says to seek after those things above. Not the things of this earth. Not the things to the left or the right of what the world and the person, uh, your buddies are offering you. But what does God offering you? What is God showing you? What does God have for you? And that is what we need to do in our resurrected or raised with Christ. We are to then pattern our lives after Jesus Christ himself. And he starts by saying in verse 2, to set your mind on things above and not on the things of the earth. So when you're seeking heavenly things, heavenly values, heavenly virtues that are centered on Christ, you will be able to enjoy this Christian life you will be able to enjoy it because you're in line with and you will see that Paul talks about there's a tremendous benefits that come from your mind set upon the things of God because Paul says concentrate your concerns on eternal matters not on temporal matters So many times we get emotionally wrapped up in our lives of what's happening today or or the fear of what's going to happen tomorrow versus understanding what your eternal perspective and the long term understanding what God is going to do in and through your life. We just get wrapped up in our situations and not see how God is taking the situations and using it to mold and shape you for his eternal purpose. Now and into eternity. So Paul is saying here, pattern, understand what it means to to be raised up with Christ in this new life, this new life he's given you. And he says to set your mind on these things above. In 2 Corinthians 4.18, while we do not look at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. So we're sitting there going, God, help us to see what you want us to see. Help us to understand the things that we don't can't see playing out in this world. We don't want to look at the focus of the world because the world is falling apart. What we want to know is what, God, do you say in your word? And I just want to be obedient and to follow your ways. And it's good and it's right, regardless of how I feel, regardless how contrary it goes against the word. The, the world. It goes contrary to my my family or my friends and things. Because what you want to be is in line, focused, centered upon your Savior. Because he's always going to lead you rightly. He'll never leave leave you or forsaken you or never mislead you and go down a path that is not good. We have a good good father. We sing it. Know that your Heavenly Father has great things for you in your life. So set your mind. Fix your mind as a Christian. Fix your mind on the things of heaven because in that, when you focus your mind and focus on and, and pattern everything that you're saying and doing with, the, with, uh, with Jesus in mind because he's enthroned in heaven, he's, in, he's the controller, he's, the, he's your Lord and Savior, then our hearts and thoughts will be in line with his. Verse 3, he says, for you died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. So we see that we, we died with Christ. Everything was nailed to the cross. But Christ not only died for sin, bearing its penalty. He took the penalty of your sin upon his shoulders. But he died unto sin, breaking its power of sin on your life. He, he did it all, so you are no longer controlled by your sin, no longer controlled by the, the Satan and his demonic forces. You're no longer, because you're a child of God, you've been set free from all of that. And when you've been, and received the, this, this power of God, the, the Christ, the life that lives within you, because you are in Christ, your life is in Christ through the work of the Holy Spirit. We see that in 1 Corinthians 12, 13. And when you have been forgiven, have you been set free from your sin, you also have victory over the old sin nature that wants to control you. You have victory. And at the moment of your salvation, a Christian died to the evil of the flesh or the sinful nature that used to be who you are. But once you got saved, that's no no longer who you are. That's the old man. That's the old woman. I never say old woman. The old man. It's just you're never an old woman, of course. But you're always an old man. So, of course the old man is dead. You're new. And so what happens is Paul is saying here, your life is hidden. The word hidden means you're implied both you're concealed. You're sealed with the, the, of the Holy Spirit. But you also have Safety. Not only do you have safety, but you have also security in him. He has given you a life in Christ, not only safe, but also secure. So you don't have to worry about your life. Because God is in control of your life. You continue to seek after Him. You continue to pattern your life after Him. You find you want to be like your Savior. You want to be like your Lord. And when you do that, He guides you down your path of life. And you will not have to worry. If you're going to have a meal in the, a meal, or a roof over your head or clothes on your back, He is going to provide for you. He's a good, good Father. And then we see in verse 4, when Christ, who is Our life appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Key verse here. When Christ comes in, Christ is our life. The question is, is when someone says, hey, tell me about your life. What's the first thing that comes to your mind? What's the first thing that comes out of your mouth? Do you say, my life is all about Jesus Christ, my Savior? Why? Because he's your life. That's true. That's that's accurate. That's true. Jesus Christ is my life. He's given me life. Apart from Him, I have no life. And everything I am thankful for, grateful for, and I want to praise Him about is because He has added that to my life. First, seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these other things will be added unto you. And I am so thankful for the fact that I seek after him. I I seek after him, seek all things. And he adds to my life, which is good and right. It's a beautiful life as a Christian. Because Christ, who is our life, appears And then you also will appear with him in glory. You have no question in your mind as a believer and sitting in this congregation. Where your eternal focus and where your... I have no idea what's going to happen in my life. You obviously have not been sitting here long enough. You need to continue to come because I've been telling you over and over. Your destination's heaven. In the arms of your Savior for eternity. That is a guarantee where your plan is if you're a Christian. If you're a non-Christian sitting here today, then that is not your plan. Your plan is not going to be eternal with Jesus Christ. You're going to hell. You need to change that path and how you change is by surrendering your life to Jesus Christ because he just said, I went to the cross and gave you freedom to be able to do that. Just put your faith in me. Follow me trust me and what he will give you life what a beautiful thing that our Lord has done for us the Heavenly Father is sending this only begotten Son to die for us that is amazing grace that says verse 5 if you have this new life if he is our life then how do you practically how does that should look in a practical life? You and my life. Well, Paul says to the believers there in Colossae, very clearly, he says, Therefore, if you if Christ is in your life, you have life in Christ, then you should be, you should be different. So what should be different? Well, he says right here, therefore, put to death your members, your body, your members which are on the earth. What, what, is, what are those? Put away fornication, uncleanness, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Because of these things, the wrath of God is coming upon the sons of disobedience, in which you yourselves once walked when you lived in them. So Paul says to you to the believers in Colossae, you used to be like this. You used to live like this. This is what you how you used to walk. And when someone watched your life, this described you. What does he describe them? Well, he just says, you used to live by your sensual, your sexual sins. And he, he names them. He says, this used to be you. They used to control your life. He says, the first one is fornication, which is pornea. Porn- that's where we get our word pornography from. But it means, in a broader sense, a sexual immorality or intercourse outside of marriage. He says, you used to live like that. That's sensual sin. And you no longer do that as a Christian. You can't live like that. You can't be, be controlled by pornea or pornography. You can't be controlled by having sex out of wedding, out of a marriage. That is as sin, and you have to get rid of it. That's, as a believer, you can't have that. He says the next one, he says, our uncleanness. That's a even a wider perversion or impurity of thoughts, of sensual sins and purity. He says, you can't have these unclean thoughts. You can't act in these unclean ways, these impure ways. Or passion, meaning the original language, lust or uncontrollable lust. I can't control my lust. That is used to be who you used to be as a non believer. But as a believer, that's not who you can be. It's not of me. That's not of God. There's nowhere God says that is good. That's bad. It's sin. It. It's got to go. And God's given you the power and the ability by having the life of Christ inside you to give you the power to let go. You may not emotionally think you can let go of it, but you can because God says he's going to give you the power to do it. You have to choose today who you shall serve. Will you serve God and let him do it? Or do you continue to serve and live by your flesh and, and by the world's standards? It's a decision you have to make. But he says to the Colossians there, You've got to, that can no longer be you, that passion of uncontrollable lust. Or evil desires, that unlawful craving of doing evil against someone. Crafting, ooh, I can't wait to do something evil in that sensual, sensual sinful way of trying to, to hurt somebody. Or covetousness, which is greed, always wanting more, never never content. Always, you know, the Bible says contentment has, there's great gain in contentment. Being just satisfied and thankful for what you do have versus always constantly, I got to have more, got to have bigger, got to have faster, got to have this, I got to have that. That can, can control someone. It's very sinful, sensual sin. Of, and when you had that, I know you don't have that today because you've let that go because you're now a new creation. You're a, new, you're a, new, you're a believer that's growing and maturing. So those, that, that no longer controls you. I know that. But remember, it used to control you, some of you. But no longer, it can control you. You don't want that to control you anymore. You don't want to go back, like a dog to its vomit, the scripture says, back to the sin. You don't want to do that. But then he says right here, because that covetousness, right, which is idolatry. Idolatry is when you you, you put things in place of God. God says to do this, he says, I don't want to do that. I'm going to do this instead. I want to do my own thing. That's idolatry. I don't really... I think I need to do this for God and I don't really need to go to church and I really don't need to do and focus on and be around godly people. I want to just do my own thing and hang out with the buds and, you know, drink and party and have a good time and just completely go against the word of God. That's idolatry. And God says, you'll put no, 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 no thing or no man before me. There'll be no gods before me. So he say, Paul is saying here, "Put those away." Why? Verse six? Because these things will bring about the wrath of God. <laughs> it'll, be brought, it'll bring this, this acute quickness of, of correction to you as a believer, or comes in the wrath of God's coming upon the sons of disobedience. Those who are sons, people, daughters who are, live in disobedience to the word of God, there is consequences. You used to walk that way, but you no longer can walk that way. You should no longer desire to walk like that. Because these sins invite the wrath of God, because the world loves this kind of sinful lifestyle. They don't want to humbly come to Jesus and say, Oh, God, help me, because I am just a sinful, wicked man. I need to help. I want to let go of these as a a believer. I just, I can't, I just, I, I don't, the world and people just keep bringing me back to that. Or as a non-believer, you, have no, you, you, you struggle, you know this stuff is killing you, you know things are bad, but you still want to do it. Wherever you are standing today or sitting today, just know that God wants to help you. To save you from it, or to strengthen you, encourage you to keep walking away from it. But either way, there's there's consequences to the sins. And as they continue in these sins, it adds to their condemnation. We see in James 2.10 that even one sin is enough to send anyone to hell. So when you're talking to someone who doesn't believe in Jesus, they need to understand that even just one sin will cause you to go to hell. You need to be saved from all that. And by putting your life into Christ, he's wiped all your sin away. You've been forgiven of all of it. So you can come to to, to Christ. You can go to heaven. You can be with the Heavenly Father. But notice also that in, in Matthew 23, 14, that there are greater levels of condemnation that can come upon someone who chooses to continue to live in sin. There, you can get to a point as a non-believer where you sin where God says, okay, I keep trying, I keep trying to get your attention, Keep keep bringing people in your life to tell you that you're living in something that's contrary, sons of disobedience, and you don't want anything to do with it. You can get to a point where God says, okay, I'll, let you, I'll turn you over to your own debased mind. I'll, I'll, I'll let you have your freedom to live these sensual sins. That's a very, very dark place to be. And it grieves me when I, I see some people as non-believers that you're trying to share the gospel to help them, free, to, to save them <laughs> with the gospel. That, that Jesus can save them. And they just said, no, I, I love my sensual sins. There's no way I'm giving these up. And that's, it's, it's grieving to me to watch and to hear We see it as in, even in Romans chapter 1. Go back, you want something sobering? Read Romans chapter 1, verses 24 through 32 today. And the wrath of God comes as God allows men to continue in sin in their, in, in, in their self destructive behavior. It's, uh, but, but Paul's really simply giving a clear message for the believers there in Colossae. He says that we should not live like the sons of disobedience anymore if you're a Christian. A true Christian cannot be comfortable nor live habitually in sin. If you're calling yourself a Christian, you can no longer habitually, comfortably live in sin, sensual sins, or even the next set of sins that he talks about, which is social sins. But Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 and 2, it says, And you he made alive, who were dead in trespasses and sins... In which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, which is Satan, and the spirit who now works in sons of disobedience. That should not be you as a child of God. Should not. And then he continues in verse 8 but now you, yourselves, are to put off all of these. Now, remember, we see this, this old man and, and new man. We see this putting off the old clothes and putting on the new clothes. Take put Stuff that goes against God, you've got to put it off. You've got, you've got to decide to put that off. But how, what do you replace it? Well, he's going to give you that word. But there's essential sins, but he's going to continue here. And he's even refining it so that they can't get away with anything that's not of God. He says he's going to give the social sins here. He says you also have to put away off all these... And this anger this wrath this malice this blasphemy and filthy language out of your mouth and do not lie to one another since you have put off the old man with these with his deeds so paul sits there and says you know it's easy to sit there and go yes i got to get rid of the sensual sins i everyone agrees with that that's not good but then somehow some way Lots of people think it's okay for social sins like anger or 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 wrath or filthy language or black those are fine. You know, it's just a cultural thing. It's just my work environment. It's just the way it is. It's just how it just comes natural. I can't even see those are all rational justifications. But Paul is saying here, nah, no, as a Christian, that cannot be part of who you are in Christ. Your life in Christ is not. What comes out of your mouth is from the heart. That cannot reflect a wicked heart, a sinful heart here. So it's like Lazarus, right? In chapter uh, 11 of John, 40, verse 44, where he was raised from the dead. He came out of the... They didn't keep the grave clothes on him in this new raised up from the dead life here. He got rid of those grave clothes. Just like Jesus, when he was resurrected, he, came, he didn't come out of the grave uh, in grave clothes. Those grave clothes were left behind in the tomb. They were buried. That's the old life. It doesn't come with you into the new life as a Christian. And by faith, you put off the old sins that used to bound you, used to be who you are, your identity. But in Christ, you're free from that. It should no longer be your identity attached to you. These sins that Paul lists here, this anger and wrath and so forth, is, is, is sometimes regarded as these little tiny little, little sins, these little white lies and little sins that we deal with, that God will be fine. No, God is not going to tolerate any sin in our lives. He do not want any of that. He's freed you from all of that. It's no longer who you are as a child of God. We don't, we don't do those things in God's family. So Paul is challenging them Put off the old man. Put off these old things, these sensual sins, these social sins here. But what are they? Sometimes people don't really realize what these words mean. Anger means this, this chronic attitude of hatred towards someone. That should not be in your life. You've got to let it go. Put it on. Whoever's coming to your mind right now, if that's something, if it's something you're holding on, you've got to let it go. Ask God to forgive you of that give you the power to let go of the hatred towards someone, or a wrath, acute outbursts, where you just all of a sudden they just explode on you with just, uh, over anger of a situation. Again, that should not be who you are as a Christian. It's not, that's not in our lives anymore. Or malice, a root of bitterness or maliciousness. You, you, you have this root of bitterness that you people may not see, but deep within, you're going to be maliciously trying to get back at that person for doing something against you. Something, someone does something to you and you go, I am going to have revenge. Dude, do that. I'm telling you right now, that is not of God. You have to let it go. Let it go. Because it's not going to harm the other person. It's just going to harm you. Why? Because you're going against against God. I guarantee you, you and I will lose if if we still have that in our lives. Or blasphemy. That slander, that evil speaking you do against another person. Sometimes, oh, I tell them right into their face. That doesn't make it any better. You tell it to their face or you tell it behind their backs. It does not matter. You and I as a Christian are not to have a slanderous... uh, a spirit in us or a evil speaking spirit in us about us should not and oh this is a fun one the filthy language out of your mouth the dirty the vulgar the shameful the, the abrasive speech that can come out of our tongue or off our tongue that should not be happening as a Christian and it drives me nuts when I hear these pastors and other ones who are trying to be hip and be part of cultural relative, and they're out there cussing and and smoking a cigarette and having a great time and drinking a a glass of wine or a beer while they're teaching the word of God. God have mercy on those men. Because he says, the filth coming out of your mouth should not happen. I used to have a dirty mouth. And then God took it right away immediately from me. I live and I work in the culture just like you. I'm around it all the time. It does not any longer faze me because all I do is I pray for those who who continue to do it. Because I they have no idea the sin that they deal with. That's just hurting themselves. And I was in the military. And I'm living outside the military. It doesn't matter your culture. It doesn't matter your age. It doesn't matter where you live or what family you live in or what you, you. When you're a child of God and Christ lives within you, He gives you the power to change. So no excuses with me. I assure you. You can try to fly that one by someone else, but they can't fly it with me because I got the Word of God right here in front of me, and I'm telling you right now. So now you're accountable. <laughs> I love it. I love teaching the Word of God verse by verse. <laughs> I just love it. And it says, do not lie. Each of these sins are primarily committed by what we say. If you notice, all of these are things that come out of our mouths. It's things that we portray and things that come out from our lives that reflect something that's not in line with the the, Jesus Christ, our Savior, who lives within us. Even Paul calls the believers to a deeper obedience to Jesus. And he tells us to bridle our tongue. And he says right there in James chapter 1 verse 26 and James chapter 3 verses 1 through 9, we are to bridle this tongue. You've got to bring it under control. Every member has to be under control of our body. Or if not, it will cause you to sin and we cannot afford to have that happen. And this, this do not lie is not only just not telling the truth, But it's also a false witness where you are telling the right information but you do it for the wrong conclusion. You mislead someone by just giving enough right information that you cause the person to think one way when you actually, that's not what you're actually doing. False witness. Again, got to put it away. You shouldn't... God says, that's not who you are as a child of God. And so now in verse 10, we now say putting on. So here's what you're to put off. But what are you to put on as a Christian man, a Christian woman? Verse 10 says, and have put on the new man who is renewed in knowledge according to the image of him who created him. So God says, "Put off the grave clothes and put on the grace clothes. Put on the new self, the new way of life, according to God's word, the image of Him. What does God? Do? What did Jesus do? How did He act? How did He behave? How did He have relationships with other people? How did he, what did He teach? What does He come?" On. That is what we want to know, and that's by why we study the Word of God, and we digest it, we meditate on it, and we say, God, I want that to be part of me. I want to be a godly man. I want to be a godly one. I want to be that. I want to change. This, is, this coming year, this, this right now, starting now, going into the new year, that, uh, that stuff that I need to put off, I'm going to put off, and God, I want to put on something new. I want something good that's right, that's in line with you. And that's what God is calling us to do, to set our mind on it. To seek to experience all that we have in the life of, in Christ. This new position in Christ, being a child of God in His family. And Paul says here this new life is renewed. Our minds are renewed. Our lives are renewed in the knowledge of what God is showing you, of who He is. And the time you spend with Him, the more you get to know Him, the more you get to know Him, the more you change. And the more you spend time with him and and spend time talking to him and reading about him, all of a sudden you have this appetite, this hunger to know God even more at a deeper level. Paul here is sitting here talking about the image of him who created him. And he brings us right back to Genesis chapter 1 verse 27. And he reminds us of Adam. Adam. And how he fell to disobedience to God and said, do not partake of that. And him and Eve did, and, and sin entered the world. But he brings us back full circle. He said, Wait, that's the old Adam. That's the old man. Now you need to focus on the new man, Jesus Christ, the new Adam, the second Adam. That's who you need to focus in on. That is who gives you life. That is the image of him you need to follow. You want to know, boy, so many times people go, oh, I need, I need a mentor, or I need someone to help me, and you're looking for the best person in the business, or job, or position, and you're like, oh, I got to have this, this person, and, this, and you try to model yourself of, after the image of that person, that, that movie star, or that singer, or what, you know, people think, that athlete, and you try to mimic, and you start dressing like them. You start talking like them, You you even act out and mimic them in so many ways because they become your identity, your, your image that you're looking after. And God is saying, stop looking at the image of man and look at the image of Christ. Do you want to look in the mirror and see the same man who is dying of sin and going to hell? Or do you want to look into the mirror and say, I want to see more like Christ in me. Do you want to look at someone of this world wearing nasty, filthy, old clothes? Or do you want to look in the mirror and say, I have new clothes that God has provided for me, a robe of righteousness. I'm looking, I'm looking good in Christ. And I'm so grateful. See, we have to get it to the practical level, my brothers and sisters. This is just not just Christian talk. This is practical Christian living. And we can change biblically. Just know the Bible. And let the Holy Spirit do a work in you. You can change. Regardless of how you feel, you can change biblically. You can be renewed. You can put on Christ. You can put on you look And notice here, Paul takes excuses away for why you're thinking and why they're thinking in Colossae. Oh, I don't think I can change biblically. I don't think I can change and be like Christ because you don't understand my past. You don't understand my family. You don't understand this. You don't understand the, this, the, the trauma I've been through and the, and the post-traumatic stress and all that. I got all that. But look what Paul takes those excuses away. He says in verse 11, where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcised nor uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave nor free, but Christ is all in all. So he comes and he goes right to the matter of taking excuses away why you can't change because of some reasons. And the first one he says, you can still have this life in Christ because Even with the national distinctions that are out there, Greek nor Jew, it doesn't matter if you're Greek nor Jew, you can come to Christ. You have the same way to come to Christ. It doesn't matter what your background is nationally. Any distinction does not matter. You can come to Christ. He also says religiously. I don't care if you're circumcised or uncircumcised. It doesn't matter what your religious thing If you're in Christ, you're a child of God, you're a Christian, you're a born-again believer, there's no difference anymore. It doesn't matter if you came from that religion, or you follow those rules and regulations, or you didn't even, like me, didn't follow any religion growing up. You were either. I was one of the, I was the barbarian, I was the Scythian. Because I wasn't Jewish, and I certainly didn't follow the Greek culture. But then he says, not only national distinctions or religious distinctions, but notice that he also said cultural distinctions. Because if you wasn't a Jew and you didn't come follow the Greek culture at that time, then you were considered a barbarian or a Scythian. And a Scythian is someone who is a wild, savage nomad. That was me growing up. Just a wild, savage man, young man. Nomad, just... Going my own thing, doing my own way. Until God got a hold of me and revealed himself to me. And it was like a breath of fresh air and said, Wow, I have a life now. It's a beautiful, beautiful thing. And even economic or social distinctions. He says, Slave nor free, Christ can live within you. I grew up poor. I grew up with nothing. I worked as early as I can remember. Working the farm, doing the paper route. It didn't matter because if I wouldn't have survived because we had no money. But it didn't matter if I came poor or if I was rich. It doesn't matter economically or socially you can have Christ live within you and dwell within you richly. Paul is saying, those are just worldly excuses. Those are fleshly excuses. Don't allow those excuses anymore because the breaking of the habits and the traditions that you're so focused on were part of your life, yes, in the past, but they no longer control and identify who you are today in Christ. You need to start thinking and doing and reflecting a new life in Him, not of the old life. Many Christians struggle as a Christian because they continue to bring in the baggage of the past. What their families did to them or didn't do for them. Again, right down there, you don't understand. You know, I came from a different country, or I came from a different state, or I came from... You know, whatever it is, excuse... You have got to let that go because you're now in the family of God. You're in, have a new life and you have a new eternal destiny. You're no longer who you used to be in Christ. So we have to live in this new pattern, this new understanding of who you are in Christ. A new man is part of a family which no longer favors race. There's no there's no there's only there's a human race. That's it. All it's all we have. There is no race, so why are you distinguishing people by race? Why do you distinguish people nationally, or by class, or culture, or socially, or by wealth? None of those, those are all worldly thinking. That's how the world thinks. That's not how Christians think. Because we're in a new family, and we're one family, because Christ is all and in all. Right there at the very end of the verse. So when you're talking to a supposed Christian who goes to a supposed Christian uh, church and their teaching and their thinking is different than what the scriptures say, then you and I, and you need to have a conversation with that person and bring them back to the scripture because you know the scripture now and tell them their thinking is wrong and does not line with a Christian and they need to repent. Because they're causing division that is not not of God. And then Paul continues in verse 12. Therefore, I told you what to put off. I told you who you are in Christ. Now, what do you put on? What do you practice? You, you lift weights and you work and you take a walk and get all get exercise, but what do you practice Christian wise? He says right here, therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on tender mercies, put on kindness and humility and meekness and long suffering. Bearing with one another and forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, you so you also must do. So you're, 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 you are the elect of God. God has chosen you now as a Christian to be something special in his plan, a part of his purpose. And we are to put on his new clothes he gives us. These new attributes, these new attitudes in our minds. We have to put them on. You have to choose to put them on. And each one of these qualities that he highlights here, if you notice, is all about relationships. Because our life in Christ is about a relationship with him and a relationship with others. And when you take a look at this, he says, you are now, as a Christian, put on tender mercies. It means a deep compassion for others. I assure you, when you were not a Christian, you were very selfish and all you thought about is yourself and you could really care less about the compassion for someone else. The only time you had a compassion is if you were going to lose out on something and you have a compassion from them because you need to get something from them. But as a Christian now, you don't, need to get any, you don't have to gain anything from anybody. But you still have this deep compassion for others. He also says you need to put on kindness. So you should put on a friendly, courteous, um, generous, and, and considerate to others. That's what you should be. Are you? Are you friendly to other people? Are you generous to other people? Are you considerate to other people? We, we need to. We need to put that on. How about humility? Do you have a humbleness about you? Or do you have this this prideful dominance over others? No, we're not to have dominance over others. You're not to, to sit there and have this prideful look upon yourselves and your nose up upon someone else of less fortunate. How about meekness? First of all, meekness is not weakness. Meekness is a power under control. We call it Patience. We call it gentleness with others. Are you patient with others? Are you gentle with others? Do you have this, this thing where you just, you, just you, 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 you have all the power to take them out, <laughs> but you're in control and you don't for their sake. How about long suffering? A long temper? Do you have a long temper, not impulsive? Or are you very impulsive? with your anger and emotions. As you mature as a Christian, you will have a point where you will be long-suffering. You will be not impulsive, and you will have this long temper. You will not lose your control. You want that in your life. I want that in my life as well. I want God to continue to help me to mature, and I hope you do too. Where you, these are things you don't settle for in the past, the old ways, and bring it into your new life. No, those things should line up with the scripture. You should be long-suffering. You should also be bearing with or forbearance. means to hold back, to have self-control, restraint. Because if you don't have restraint, you need to mature more. If you're a Christian, you, you keep showing up, my brother. Keep showing up until you have restraint. God's going to build that. It's going to help you grow in that. To be able to, 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 to hold back with, and have self-control against the things that this world and your, the flesh offers you. And also forgiveness. We should be forgiving one another. We should be able to let it go. It, this Christ-like forgiveness is what we want. And when you have and want this Christ-like forgiveness, it opens up the heart to the fullness of the love of God that He wants to have in you. We need to to choose to put on forgiveness and to turn on not only to forgive and to be forgiven because so many times oh I'll forgive them but you will not take and be forgiven you you cannot forgive yourself of the things you've done in the past and you need to let that go that's the old that's the old man that's the old self. Let that, let that go. You need to be forgiven. God has forgiven you. You need to forgive. You need to press on and know that you've been forgiven. You've been set free. Now you get to live it. That's what Paul's saying You Live it. You're not doing these things. You're not sitting here, okay, I'm going to checklist. I'm going to be tender mercies toward Bill tomorrow and tender mercies and kindness to that guy. I was was going to kill him yesterday, but I'll show him kindness tomorrow because I need to earn salvation. You can't earn your salvation. You're already saved. You do this because, because these things are not to earn anything. You cannot earn your salvation, but it's rather it should be exhibited in your life in Christ. You want it to exhibit. So when people look at your life, they'll see tender mercies in certain situations. You'll see the kindness. You'll see the meekness. You'll see the long-suffering. You'll see the the forbearance. You're bearing uh, with someone who's difficult to work with. You're right side by side, and they're very difficult to work with. It's reality. They're very difficult to work with. They're always putting you down. They're always coming after you. But you're going to bear with it. God is using that to refine you, to build up this kind of love in your life that you were willing to bear with someone who's coming against you. And forgive them. And not go against them. And why are we Paul saying this? Why is God saying this to us today? Because you are saved by grace. And so therefore, have the power to show grace and be gracious to others in our behavior. And then verse 14, but above all these things, put on love, which is is the bond of perfection. Love is the super glue. Love is the summary of all these things described in this passage. Because if you really love them, you will put on tender mercies. If you really loving them you will be kind you will have this humility you will have the, this meekness you will be willing to long suffering. this is the love that God wants to bear it's a fruit of the spirit that he wants to develop in you and I as we mature as Christians love perfectly fulfills what God requires of us in our relationships with others love holds us all together in this what we call perfect unity why do we have unity within the body of Christ? Because we choose to put on love for the others that are sitting to the left or to the right of you of the pew. Or in this case, chair. You choose to put on love. And notice, you're choosing to put on these, these, the love and the, the facets of that love regardless of what they have done or de- continue to do to you. It's not conditional. You still show love regardless if they're even mean to you. And so Paul says, it's putting on love that gives this bond of perfection within the body. Verse 15, and let the peace of God rule in your hearts to which also you were called in one body and be what? Thankful. So not only do you want God wants you to put on love, but he's also sitting here for believers to also let the peace of Christ rule in their hearts, because they are called to peace as member of one body. Now, if you take a look at this and understand, the closer a believer is to Christ, the closer they become more Christ-like, the closer they will be to each other. as brothers and sisters in the body. The more you feel distance from the uh, people within the church body, that means everyone else is not wrong. It means you're wrong. Something in your life is causing you not to put on love and to have an understanding of why there seems to be a distance between you and others within the body. Paul says here in verse 15, let the peace of God rule. What do you mean rule? Rule means, and the the word here is like the word umpire in an athletic, like like an umpire of a a baseball game. An umpire does what? He watches the game and he calls the ins and outs, the fouls or the uh, good plays. They're watching, it's it's, it's umpiring what's happening in your mind and your heart. So the peace of God does that. It's like if, I, if you're walking with the Lord, the peace of God will be an umpire to your heart calling these ins and outs or no, goes or no-goes or inbounds or out-of-bounds. You're on target. You're not on target. So the peace of Christ is, is the judge of what's happening in your mind right now or the decide, or a deciding factor or a governing of your heart. Because if you're in the will of God, and you're doing according to what God says. There'll be a peace of God that will fill your life. And you just know that you're, you've got this peace. Yes, turmoil is happening all around you. But you have this sense of peace because you know you're in the will of God. But when all of a sudden you lose that peace, then you must check. There's something that, you, that you're You're missing. You're disobedient, or you're not listening, and you're not uh, being obedient to something that God's already called you to do, and you'll lose that peace. And it's like an umpire saying, "You're out, <laughs> you're out, you're out of bounds. You, this something's not right. You're not, you're not, you're not doing what you're supposed to be doing," and you'll lose the sense of peace. And it's a, it's that 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 check in the spirit that you're grieving the Holy Spirit that lives within you. That something's not right. And so when you listen to it, and understanding and check the umpire of the peace of God, then it will guide you as you live your life as a Christian. Now, I know what you're going to tell me. You're going to go back to Jeremiah, aren't you? And Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 9 says right there, it says, you, that the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. So how can I really go based on my heart? What I'm saying is, is your heart is checked, by the Spirit of God, and He will give you peace if you're in His will, and the peace will leave you if you're not in the will of God. That's why we have to have the Word of God that governs all things. The authority is the word of God. So Christians, you'll be peace of God will fill you when you're in the will of God. You'll be thankful. It's a, it's a, a reaction. It's like, God, I'm so thankful that you, I, this peace that comes from you and this decision I just made. I know this is good and right. And it does not go against the word of God. That's why he says in verse 16, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly and all wisdom. Doing what? Teaching or instructing you. And admonishing or counsel or correcting you and I. One another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs and singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. So the final authority, the word of God is the final authority for you and I. So as you're living your Christian life and you're going along, you're working every day and you're raising a family or you're you're helping. Whatever it is your life looks like today. Can you say you have the peace of God in you? Do you feel like you have a sense of you're very thankful for where your life is at this point in time? And does your life and what you're doing and saying line up with the word of God? Does it? If it is, then you're having this joy and peace and and, and gladness in in your life. People can't explain. They're like, why are you so joyful and why are you so at peace and why, why you seem so confident and so assured of what you're doing every day? Even though there, you have sickness, you just had pneumonia, you had the, this, a near-death experience, and you just had a, someone die in your family, but you still have peace. You still have joy. You still have the security and the sense that people can't explain. Beyond their, above and beyond what, you know, what people can see. But but he says here that the word of God is the final authority. When someone says that they have peace about something, and it happens a lot of time, you know, it's like, what is the Lord showing you? And I hear these, well, Pastor, I have peace about this because I heard God is God is telling me to do this. Okay, what am I going to say to that? God's supposedly speaking to you. What am I going to say to that? All I have to do is say, well, do you have peace and joy about that? Well, mm, I'm not sure about peace and joy, but I know this is what God wants me to do. Well, right then, I know by the word of God that doesn't line up, does it? Because if you're in the line lined up with the word of God, you will have what, the peace of God, and you'll be grateful. You'll have joy. So something's not right. Again, I'm just you're just telling me what you're telling me. Sometimes we oh God's showing me this, and I know it. Well, where did He show you in the word of God that this is what He wants you to do? Well. I'm sure he'll, it's, it's, it's a good thing. I got peace. I got peace about it. You got peace about it. Okay. But you just told me you were going to go have a relationship with a woman outside of wedlock. How can you tell me you have peace? That's not a peace of God. Because it goes, against the, it goes contrary to the, the word of God. I have peace about this. I'm going to go confront this man. And if if it comes down to it, I'm ready to go to battle and I will take him out. I've been practicing my judo. And you have peace about that. I'm telling you now that you, that is not the peace of God. You have been deceived because you're to be kind and long-suffering and bearing with one another and forgiving one another, you cannot tell me that attitude and that attribute of what you're telling me is in line with the God. It is not true. You've been deceived. And as a Christian, that is not. Now, if you're a non-Christian, I absolutely probably assume that exactly what you're going to do. Because as a non-believer, you live by the flesh. You live by the world. Of course you're going to live like that. I don't expect you to do anything other than that. I lived like that for many years. But once you become a a child of God, that is not who you are any longer. And I know, it's it's like a roller coaster for six months to a year. You're like, oh, what what does it mean to be a Christian? I don't know. And I understand that. But that's why we say keep showing up Regardless of how convicted you get by hearing the word of God and how convicted you are to, to watch and see things, keep showing up because as a child of God, God is going to work those things in and through your life where it becomes who you are. You'll become more Christ-like. Your life in Christ will be so clear. There's no question in my mind when we look at your life and what comes out of your mouth and how you live and what you do, and even you, you'll be amazed. You'll go, I, I remember the day when someone says, Oh I haven't heard you cuss in a long time. And it's like, I, I, I'm not cussing him. I, I, the filth is not coming out of my mouth. I didn't even, it, God just took it away. I just, it just faded away because I was so focused on him and him being in the word of God and wanting to live for him and constantly the things of the flesh just faded away. I didn't even know, other people noticed it in me. It's a, God will take care of it. Just lay it at his feet. Choose to put it off, that line. Put it off on those sensual sins. Put it off on those social sins, those things that hinder your relationship with others. Put it off. And put on Christ. Let the word of God and the peace of God and the joy of God to to really put you in check. And as the new man walks in the word of God and in worships with other believers there'll be such a peace and such joy that will fill your hearts. And that's why Paul says, when you're with one another, you can, you can teach, you can, you can admonish in one another in psalms. I mean, that's the, the book of psalms, the, the, the word of God there. Or in hymns, which are other songs of praise, music, or even spiritual songs, which are opposite of the secular ones that you hear out there today. These are the type of songs you should be listening to. And by doing that and allowing those others to hear that, we'll minister to them by instructing them and in admonishing or counseling or correcting them. And then finally in verse 17, in Whatever you do, whatever you do in word or deed, whatever you say and whatever you actually physically do, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. So in other words, whatever you do, do everything in the nature and the flavor of Jesus Christ. Just test all things. And if you do not know, as a new believer, you don't know. I understand that. Then turn to your brother or sister and ask them, what does the word of God say about this? Keep showing up. And I assure you, I don't know your life I know some of you better than others, but I just keep teaching verse by verse, chapter by chapter. And it's amazing how many times people come up and say, how did you know that about my life? I didn't know anything about your life. But the Holy Spirit knows you. That's why he uses the word of God to speak to you. That's how it works, my brothers. said. So that's why you open up the word. And that's why people don't like to read the word. Right? Because if you don't like to be corrected, because you're so prideful, you won't read the word of God. I can always tell a prideful man because he won't read the word of God because he doesn't like to be told that he needs to be corrected. Let me tell you, my brother, if you're, that's you today, you need to read the word of God. Would you rather have someone else tell you, your boss or your spouse or friend, or would you rather have the gentle hand of God to correct you? I assure you, you want God to do the correction. But many people won't read the Word because they don't want to hear the truth. But as a child of God, you're still going to get the truth. Why? Because you can turn the radio and you'll hear it. God will bring someone, complete stranger, and walk in and tell you the same truth. Or you'll sit here on the Sundays or men's studies, ladies' studies, and hear the truth. God is going to do a work in you. He started a good work, and he is faithful to complete that work in you. And you can run, and you can try to hide. But I always tell, like the kids, I used to teach the kids, it's like a bungee cord. You've got the bungee on you. You're in the child of God. God's got a hold of you. You're not going to wander too far. And you can stretch that bungee cord as far as you want. You ever see the kids on the, little, on the strings in the malls? Because you know that kid's wild. The mom doesn't want to lose the kid. or dad doesn't want to lose the kid. And you can only go so far. And that, all of a sudden, that tug is going to happen. That bungee is going to go all the way to the very end. And it's going to snap you back. Now, how about you? But I'd rather feel the tug of the Holy Spirit, say, you're walking, you're straying off a little too far, and you just voluntarily, obediently turn around and come back to your Father. Amen? It's far greater to do that than let the bungee cord pull you back. (laughs) It's always going to (laughs) hurt. So you just turn around and come back. God loves you. He wants you to come back. He wants you to understand whatever you do in word, whatever you do in deed, give all the thanks to the God, the Father, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I'll give you this one thing I want you to take note. And my, some of you um, scholars out there may have already picked up on this. But notice that Paul does, ends with this about three times he emphasizes thankfulness. Notice here in verse 15. He says, be thankful. In verse 16, sing with grace or gratitude. That's thankfulness. And then in verse 17, give thanks to God the Father. Thankfulness. Do you want to have an indication if you're walking with God and things are going well and you're, and you're just, just taking on and you're keeping your eyes on heaven, you're, keeping on, you're letting the past go on, you're putting on the new, and you're just living for Christ because you want more of him? You will be one of the most thankful persons walking But if you find yourself, you're not thankful, and you're not worshiping God in thankfulness, you're not a thankful heart, check your heart. Check, because something's not right. Thankfulness should be pouring out in your praises and, 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 and worship of God. It should be. In your prayer should be just constantly praising and thanking God. That is a good indication where your stance is today with God. Does your life in Christ reflect him? Is that who you're seeing in the mirror? More and more, Christ-likeness? Is that what people are seeing in your life? I really pray and hope it does. Why? Because God wants to do that work in you. Let him.